This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hi, this is Ken Anderson, and you're listening to the I Test for Two podcast. Well, as most of you know, I hope, we had elections this week, and I assume you voted. I know you selected a governor in Florida and assorted congresspersons, but you didn't elect a mayor, did you? Did you or did you not? No, but uh, okay. we, were, we were part of the red wave that turned into a trickle. Clark. Yeah, I, I, I heard that. Yeah, I heard that. But since you didn't elect a mayor, I've got a question for you and for our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon, who lives in St. Petersburg. So that's Greater Tampa. If there were an election tomorrow for mayor of Tampa or, yeah, of Tampa, which of these four candidates would win? Or actually, let's make it five candidates. John Cooper, Kevin Cash, Tony Dungy, Derek Brooks, or Tom Brady. And I'll start with you, Ira. Who'd win? Brady in a landslide. Oh, Brady. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Brooks second. Brooks second. Uh, Nobody knows John Cooper. He's out. Uh, Nobody uh, knows him. Nobody knows him. Nobody oh knows. You know, he's very low key. And uh, you, you could have thrown Bruce Arians in there. You, Bruce you Arians, that's right. But still, Brady would still lose uh, to him, right? Uh, Ian Br- Brady in a landslide, Ian. I, I'm actually surprised. I would have said Derek Brooks and then maybe Brady. Because, I, you know, I, I felt like maybe up until last week, Brady was on the, the bad side of some Bucks fans around here. But uh, maybe that's just maybe perception and is, isn't quite reality. Well, I know Ian would vote for Brady. Ira, who would you vote for of those five? Uh, I vote for Arians. Uh, <laughs> uh, you didn't put him in the top five. No, I did no. now. I, I, you, I think I'd vote for Brooks. I think I'd vote for Brooks because he came here in 95, Clark, so he's almost uh, three decades. Uh, tremendous in the community. Um, in my opinion, the best player in Buck history, although I didn't see Leroy Selman in person. Yeah. Clark, I got here in 85. Leroy Selman retired a month before I got here. I mean, that's bad. That's yeah. bad. Yeah, he was so a great player. For me, for me, Brooks has been the best Buccaneer. Um, he just voted one of the 12 best linebackers in NFL history. Uh, and he's a great guy in the community. Uh, well, and, I, and he's got a high school that he uh, created uh, with our guest today. So oh, oh wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, I don't vote in Tampa because I live in Connecticut. But if I did have a vote, Ian, I think I'd do a write-in candidate. It wouldn't be Bruce Arians. It'd be the sage of Tampa, Mr. Ira Kaufman. If elected, I will. I, I will not serve, Clark. I will not serve. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, uh, one last one, and Ian, um, this is for Ira only because it's a Hall of Fame question. But we have a Hall of Fame reveal later this month. I think it's in two weeks, Ira. It's always Thanksgiving week, where we cut the list of preliminary candidates, and I think the list was like 129 candidates down to 25 semifinalists. We do that each year. And because this is a Hall of Fame show, I, I wanted to go to that particular topic and ask you if you could pick one long shot from that list of 128 or 29, whatever it is, one long shot from that list that you'd like to see it make the semifinals. Maybe he hasn't been there before. Maybe he's been there once or twice. Who would it be? I think it might be the same guy you're picking, Clark, and we haven't uh, collaborated on this. Leslie O'Neill. You looked over my shoulder. You looked Come over on, my go. shoulder. You can't do that. All right. I'm going to go with Simeon 
Rice because okay. I covered him. He was a very good player in Arizona with some bad teams. Right. And then the Bucks went out and got him. Clarky easily, and Ian will back me up. He easily could have been the MVP of the 2003 Super Bowl, easily. But they wanted to vote at halftime. So Dexter Jackson got it. Um, Simeon Rice, uh, I'll leave you with this, Clark. And this is a key stat for me. Sacks per games played. Sacks per games played. He, he, he's in the top 10. Um, and he was a little better against the run than people give him credit for. Um, Ian, what, what, what do you think of Simeon Rice? I mean, I liked him. And as for someone who, you know, again, you're talking about some of those great early defenses, not only of the Bucks but the Ravens and, and Steelers of that early 2000, his, his name stood out. And to your point, very underrated in the uh, run defense. And when, you, when you're in the top 10 of sacks per game and you're going up and your contemporaries are guys like Julius Peppers and some of those other great pass rushers of the time, I think that's that, that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good thing to have going for you. Well, since I removed Iris' cheat sheet, I will tell you who I voted for, who he knows, and that's Leslie O'Neill. He's right. I covered him, too. Tell us, tell us about him, Clark. Well, well, he's a one-time semifinalist. One time, 2018, Ira. He has 132 and a half sacks, or as many as Lawrence Taylor. And he's a one-time semifinalist. Never been a finalist. And he's in his 19th year of eligibility. I'm, I'm afraid that we're going to lose him to the senior uh, – chasm and the, the the senior abyss if we don't do anything but that's going to happen it's happened to other players before deserving players but he's a 1986 rookie of the year three-time all-pro six-time pro bowler member of the Chargers hall of fame i just don't get it i don't understand it and i will tell you this a couple years ago not more than it was more than a couple years ago maybe 2015 they had the preliminary list of over 100 candidates he wasn't even on it he wasn't even wow. on it. i had to call joe and say get him on wow you know clark he, he didn't play in a lot of big time games uh, national television. A lot of people didn't know this guy played on the West Coast. Um, yeah. Heck of a player, Clark. Heck of a heck player. Of a player. Well, if you listened to us last week, you, you know that we mentioned the passing of one of pro football's most significant executives. And that's John McVay, who is the grandfather of Sean McVay of the Rams. He passed away at the age of 91. Now, he was the 1989 Executive of the Year. He presided over five Super Bowl victories with San Francisco and was a key member of an organization that featured three really outsized personalities of the owner, Eddie DeBarlow, coach Bill Walsh, coach and de facto GM Bill Walsh, and President Carmen Policy. So I guess the question you'd ask is, what did John McVeigh do there with those three persons involved? I can think of no better individual to answer that question than the man who hired him. And he's here with us today, Mr. Edward DeBartolo Jr. And Eddie, great to have you back. Thanks, Mark. Uh, and I'm uh, sorry to ask you about this, but I, I don't want John's passing to go without notice. And sometimes I'm afraid some of these guys, they do because people today just simply don't remember them. But people know he was a coach in the late 1970s with the New York Giants. My wife certainly right. does because she was a Giants fan and he was fired after the 78 season. And that of course was the, the year of the miracle in the Meadowlands. But then he resurfaced in San Francisco in I think 79 right. as the director of player personnel. So I guess I'd, I'd ask you, Eddie, how did he get there and who convinced you to hire him? Was it Walsh? I mean, who convinced you to hire him? Well, obviously Bill, uh, Bill thought that John uh, and had known him and thought that he was a very, very talented man. Um, you know, if you look at his his history, uh, you know, uh, M Miami University, 
uh, something really funny. I was at the University of Dayton when he was the head coach. Jeez. And uh, he just had a great background. He had a great football mind. He had his problems in New York. But, uh, you know, Bill and I talked and we brought him out. And uh, there was no, there was, you know, obviously that was Bill's choice. Uh, but I, John McVay and I became so close, so quick. Uh, he was just a very unbelievable, good man. I never heard a bad word out of his mouth. I never heard him say anything bad about anybody, player, coach, anybody. He, he's, I think the, this, truthfully, and, you know, his, his passing is terrible, but I've been thinking about this for, for quite some time, for years, why this man has been overlooked for the Hall of Fame. You have people, and I'm not, Please, they're they're all great, 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 you know, competitors and contributors. But, you know, you have Bobby Bethard, you have Ron Wolf, you have Bill Polian. I don't think that John McVeigh takes a backseat to any of the three of them. He he was a great talent man. Uh, we had a, you know, nowadays, Clark and Ira, the front offices are unbelievable. There's 30, 40 people in front offices. We had four people. Right. I mean, John McVeigh was just an overlooked, uh, exceptional, exceptional football man. And, you know, it, it, it really, really hurts. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just think that he was just a quiet soldier. Yeah, it's funny you say that because my wife asked me about him and she said, what made him exceptional? And I said, Boy, he was one of the kindest people I've ever met. He was a gentleman. And she said, well, kind people and gentlemen don't necessarily make great front office people or coaches. And she's right. absolutely right. But I said, there was more to it than that. He navigated the uh, three larger than life personalities as well as anyone I could know in there and um, was really adept at making sort of the right moves at the right time. But uh, right. you're on the you're in the inside there. You knew everything about him. You were there. Uh, when you hired him and uh, you, you, you saw what he was all about, what made him, what particular trait made him so invaluable when you have, you know, Carmen well, to one side, Bill to the other. You're doing it right. You're, you're saying it now because when you have a small front office like that, you have four different personalities. I mean, my personality, Carmen's, which is more low key, Bill, also low key, but at times not. That's right. And John, steady as a rock. He was the person that kept us all on the same track, kept the train going and kept everybody together uh, with their thinking. When we had our arguments or we had our little disagreements, he was the man that, that, that used, um, he just used his common sense and used, uh, he used his uh, his his creative abilities to keep keep things going in the straight straight and narrow. Eddie, um, in '82, um, it was a strike season, nine games. It was not a, it was not a good year for the franchise, Eddie. No. And no. starting in '83, Eddie, I noticed that John McVeigh's got a new title. John right. McVeigh is the general manager. Um, right. Eddie, how did that happen? Um, and and how'd you talk Walsh through that? 
Well, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, Carmen and I talked to Bill at, at a league meeting. And I think that Bill had, you know, Bill had his plateful. And, uh, he, you know, when we he, when we were three and six during that strike season and, you know, some things came up and everything else, I think Bill just down deep inside, I don't think he wanted that. But we also made Bill president. And uh, and and I think it was a natural move. And Bill did not fight John being general manager at all. Not at all. Um, Eddie, talk about uh, McVeigh getting his hands dirty uh, in the draft uh, room uh, in free agency. Um, how 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 sharp a personnel w- guy was John McVeigh? He was very sharp. Uh, you know, we had we had our room, uh, you know, the draft room, and uh, uh, Tony Rosano was there, and uh, and our group of scouts, pro and uh, and college scouting. But John basically ran ran the draft without question. He and Bill sat at a table together and, uh, you know, discussed everything before it happened. But they had their planning was impeccable, uh, you know, uh, with with players. They, you know, if they knew who they wanted now, if they weren't there, obviously, you know, they weren't there. And, I, you know, there were times like, you know, they had planned on trades uh like the trade for Russ Francis that we had to go in front of New England because I think they were going to take him. That's just one example, but they worked so well together. It was just like it, it was a it was a it was a close team, and you know they listened to Tony Rosano. He was a good football man, and you know he brought he brought a lot to the table. But it all all the decisions uh, were made by Bill and by, by Bill and John. We're speaking with Eddie DeBartolo, in fact, Hall of Fame member Eddie DeBartolo on the eye test for two. And Eddie, um, I guess that you answered the question, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, was Bill ever threatened by John? And and secondly, who had final say in that room when you were drafting? Uh, he was never threatened by John because John was not that type of a man. John was a a, a, a bright, easygoing man who obviously knew his position, but he also knew football. Um, the final decision in that room went to Bill. There's no question about it. I mean, he even asked me a couple of times, but I wouldn't open up my mouth because I didn't want I didn't want to have to eat my words later. But uh, Bill Bill made Bill made the final decision on everything. Do you have a noteworthy story or memory of, of John? And I guess I'd ask you also. What do you remember most about him and what do you miss most about him? Well, I, I miss I, I just miss him as a person. You know, we didn't see much of each other uh, in the last, uh, you know, maybe eight or nine years, just at certain things like the um, Bay Area Hall of Fame and, and situations like that at the stadium, if you know, f- for the Hall of Fame or for different uh different players being, you know, acknowledged. But um, John, he had a, the only funny story that I could ever remember about John, he was, he was very, very, I don't don't know. He was a quiet, like I said, he was a quiet soldier. But every time that he and I would see each other, he said, you sick of football yet? And he must've said that to me. 2000 times. So that's, uh, that's my story about John. 
Good thing he didn't ask you this year because we're sick of football. <laughs> There's a lot of bad <laughs> football this year. Yeah, right. Eddie, talk about uh, a little bit more about McVeigh's temperament, Eddie, in terms of, look, I know you. Uh, I know what you're like uh, after a loss, Eddie. Yeah. I know it. And right. Walsh, and Walsh is well documented. He, he thought the world was coming down on him. Yeah. If you were six six and one, and you lost the game. Yeah. Um, and here's McVeigh, Eddie, uh, on a team charter back from a road game that, that you right. lost. And just talk about how he always took the long term view, and he wasn't. He never got too high or too low. No, he was, he was, he was just, like I said, he was just perfectly content and he knew, he knew how to handle Bill on a loss and Bill and I had our words and, you know, I, it, there's no question about that. I, I, I remember one time in New Orleans, Clark, I don't know if you remember that. We had a real, real haymaker after right. the game right. and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, John was there, he stepped in. And he kind of calmed everybody down. And, you know, I, I took a few of the flights. I didn't take many, but I took a few of them. And I'd sit next to Bill and um, R.C. Owens was there. He, you know, he wasn't a whole lot of help when it came to calming anybody down, but he was a good man. <laughs> but, uh, you know, John McVeigh was the he was the person that kept the lid on. Mm -hmm. Eddie, uh, after Bill left. Eddie, did uh, how did that affect, or did it affect, uh, John McVeigh's clout and power in, in the organization? Um, I, I think it, it 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 rose it. I think that you know he became uh, uh, more important. Uh, I I don't think he was doing anything more than he ever did, but he was doing more of it. And uh, you know, we went back and forth when Bill left. And, uh, you know, Bill had had, a, had enough and we had that press conference. I don't know if you were there, Clark. It was down, I think, in Monterey. Right. And uh, and, uh, you know, it was kind of difficult because we had some we had some uh, uh, decisions to make. And I wasn't and I think you probably know this. I wasn't totally sold on George to right. be our yeah, right. to, to be our head coach. Um I had some people in mind. Jimmy Johnston was one of them. I mean, I never talked to any of these guys, but you know, Bill sat me down and 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 he was right. And he he convinced me why it was a smart thing to do. And John was there and he had all his input along with Bill's. And uh, as usual, you know, better, you know, better heads came together and we made the right decision. You did make the right decision, Eddie. I'm kind of curious when you said that. What did Bill say that convinced you was the right thing to do? Because George had had a head coaching job at Cornell briefly, and, and it was a disaster up there. Right, um, right. But then he uh, is a terrific defensive coordinator. And I'll be honest with you, people talk to me about the best coaches I've ever covered. I said George Seifert's number one. I, I, I love right. dealing with him, and I love the way he handled that team. And he's, so, a, he was a, he's a great man. He's a great good man. man. And I, I, think, I think what Bill's biggest uh, – well, I think what he said that made the most sense was continuity, number one. Mm -hmm. Don't mm -hmm. disrupt uh, the continuity that has been created. We had some really good uh, 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 assistant coaches. So George could come in, take control, and be the head coach, but yet still have 
this great group of, uh, of, of uh, assistant coaches too. And I think the continuity factor, Clark, was probably the, the biggest thing. I'll ask you the softball question, Eddie, but could you have won those five Super Bowls without John McVay? I don't think so. I'm not 100% sure we could have. And, I, and that's I, to be honest with you. And, you know, uh, you're, 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 you know, you're talking about, could we have, could we not have, you know, I, you know, yeah. I don't know. I still think we had a chance of winning seven, but that's yesterday's newspaper. Yeah, you did. You did. You know, really, but uh, no, I, I, I think John McVay's uh, I think him being where he was and his, 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 his talents, I think, I'm not saying we would have won. Uh, we wouldn't have won some Super Bowls, but I think he was a very important clog in the five. Eddie, last two for me. Thanks so much for your time, Eddie. Um, one, you mentioned this guy, and um, let's talk about him. Uh, and let's talk about him in terms of Canton. George Seifert doesn't get a sniff, Eddie. Nobody talks about him. He no. did win two Super Bowls, Eddie, and it's not like. He only had three good years in San Francisco. It was a lot more than that. Right. He, right. he averaged 12 wins, Mr. Right. D, as yes, a 49er. Right. Um, and Tom, Tom Flores went to Seattle, and it didn't work out. And, you know, Seifert went somewhere, and it didn't work out. But Eddie, you know, after about four or five years after Bill left, you know, a lot of the players were gone. And George they Seifert were. Still, still winning well, games. I don't know about that, Ira. I think. If you really want to be honest, I think 89 was still Bill's team. Yeah. Okay. And I think 94 was George's team. Uh, you know, we did, we, we, we went into free agency. We got, a, you know, we got Dion and, uh, uh, you know, all, uh, Gary uh, Plummer and Ken, Ken Norton. Ken uh, Norton. So I, Richard you know, Dent. Right. You know, you can give George credit for those two Super Bowls, and he was the head coach. But, um, you know, I, I, his, he's never talked about for the Hall of Fame. And I, you know, I don't know why, but, you know, that's that room that everybody's in. So I can't really comment on that. All right. Last one for me, Eddie. Um, and, and he's a guy, Eddie, the kid was born in 86. You probably knew him when he was a teenager running around the 49er facility. I'm talking about Sean McVay, yeah. um, Eddie, and he's had great success. Uh, won a Super Bowl last year. Um, he, he might win a few more before he's done, Eddie. And so I assume you know Sean um, and, and you watched him grow up. Eddie, do you right. see a little John McVay and Sean McVay? Well, yeah, I do. I see that, uh, you know, that 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 temperament. And uh, I think he's a little bit more, you know, he's a little more. Emotional. Uh, emotional. Yeah. yeah. Uh, than, than John. And, you know, we. You know, back then, the boys, John and Timmy and uh, and, and Jimmy, uh, uh, you know, were around a lot. So I, I think I think that he picked up a lot from his grandfather. Eddie, I'm glad to, that you mentioned George Seifert. I'm glad I, you, that you brought up the question because I feel very strongly about it, having covered him. And then when you look at his record, let's say vis-a-vis -vis somebody like, you know, you mentioned Tom Flores. It's a better yes. record. And, and Tom right. Flores went to Seattle and... and Stumbled. George goes to Carolina, stumbles. Well, but the fact of the matter is, George had this astounding winning record. And then you look at Jimmy Johnson, 
who uh, was in Dallas and only, I think he won 80 games or something. Then he goes to Miami with a Hall of Fame quarterback, and he doesn't really do much of anything there, didn't win big games there. But George did, and and that 94 team, you're absolutely right, was his. I don't want to get into it because I remember going to George before the, the game against Dallas and saying, do you feel like you're playing for your job? And he goes, yes, I do, and I am. <laughs> and, and I knew what the setup was, but in any case, that's a story from another day. But they won, and they beat Dallas, and that was – George's record speaks for itself. But I want to ask you, Eddie, since we're talking about Hall of Fame, about somebody else who's overlooked, and that's Roger Craig. Right. Running back for those great 49er teams in the in the 80s. And the, the thing that I don't comprehend here, and I, I'll address it with you as well, but the thing I don't understand is Roger Craig's been a Hall of Fame finalist, what, once? Yeah, 2010, once. Yet you look at those 49er teams from the 1980s, the 80s. They won four Super Bowls, four Super Bowls. They've got two starters from that team on offense, two offensive right. starters, Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, and in the Pro Football right. Hall of Fame. But Jerry right. wasn't there for two of those Super Bowls, okay? You're, so, so Joe was there for all four. You look at the St. Louis Rams, greatest show on turf, they won one Super Bowl. How many offensive starters they have in Canton? Four. Kurt four. Warner, Orlando Pace, Marshall right. Falk, and Isaac Bruce. Something's right. wrong there. And, and so you go, is there another person who's worthy? I'm going to tell yeah. you what I Roger believe. Craig. Yeah. And you know what, Clark? During his stint, you know, his, his tenure with the 49ers, and you're talking about Super Bowls, he did something then that they're doing now. It was Bill. He opened up the offense. Right. He had great hands. He, the people didn't know where he was going. And he was not only that, he could run. He could go up the middle, but he was just a great offensive player. And you know what? It, 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 you know, a thousand yards, a thousand yards, the first person to do that. I, I truthfully, I, I'm not going to call him a disgrace. That's a stupid statement. But I think that, that, that the man belongs in the Hall of Fame. I couldn't agree more. Eddie, that, Eddie, that 84 team that went 18 and one, Eddie, I think Craig was the best player on that team that year. Oh, he was. He, there's no question about it. I mean, he had he had a great game. Those those knees of his were up past his shoulders. <laughs> I mean, he uh, he had a he had a great game. You know, it's funny people rave about Christian McCaffrey with the uh, 49ers today, and I said Christian McCaffrey is just an extension of what Ricky Waters was in the 90s, and Roger Craig was in the 80s. He's exactly. invaluable coming out of the backfield, catching the ball, and then running the ball. He could do it both ways. And Roger was also a fullback. And, right. and Roger, so Roger Craig, I just, I don't know what we're missing here. He has been a senior finalist. Uh, I think it was the centennial class, but he didn't make it. And, and I know Ari, you're on that committee. I don't think he gets a lot of traction within that room, but you can speak for that. Well, Eddie, anybody who, who's, who's going to knock him for one fumble, you know, out of, out of a thousand yeah. carries, Eddie, yeah. that, that's just not, that's not fair. That's not, no, fair. it's not fair. And, and, and on top of that, he uh, he added a lot to that team because he was a very very big team player. He was in and and he he helped keep that team together at times when things got a little bit, uh, you know, went astray a little bit. He did more than just do what he did on the field. He did a lot off the field, and you know he's it's 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 just terrible. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. And I couldn't agree more. One last question for you, Eddie. And that's the international series we got going with the NFL. Uh, you were part of that with the 49ers playing over in England, but they've got a game this weekend in Germany. And I'm right. just wondering generally 
what your thoughts are about taking games out of this country to Europe or Germany. I, I understand the idea of, of marketing more merchandise. However, if you're an owner of a team or a coach of a team, you lose a home game. You're going to lose well, a home game. And I always thought that was an affront to the fans. And it didn't didn't sit well I, with me. How did I, it I, sit with you? I couldn't agree more. We played two games in London. Now, there's another factor here. Uh, we played two games in London when things were all right with the world. They are not now. I wouldn't, I would, they're going to Germany. That's fine. That's safe. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want my team playing in Europe. I, I think that they belong in the United States. They belong with their fans and their supporters, but that's, that's, you can, you know, you can, that and a, a, a nickel get you nothing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this and a dime got us on the. You got you on the phone with us, Eddie. Thanks so much for the time. It's, oh, it's always a, it's, always a pleasure to catch up. It's with you. an honor, it's, and you guys stay well and healthy. And I hope I see you soon. Thanks, Eddie. You. Okay. That was Hall of Fame owner Eddie DeBartle, and Ira couldn't agree with him more on Roger Craig. Uh, I feel very strongly about that, but I'm not on the senior committee. I'm on the contributor committee. I wish we could get George Seifert some traction, but we can't. But uh, with Roger Craig, I think that's a more of a, a possibility, a real possibility. But I don't know that he really gets many legs in that room. You know, you can see Eddie's emotion about Roger oh, Craig. Oh, sure. he does, and he doesn't always say that about all his former guys. Not all he was in a, a player's owner. He loves his players. He loved his players. And, and Roger Craig w was one of them. Roger Craig was one of them. Oh, what's, what's that? <laughs> you tell me, my friend. Somebody playing the piano. What are they playing? <laughs> Might have been a Todd Rundgren song over there. No, no, this is not a Todd Rundgren song. What am I listening to? Oh, What is it, Clark? I don't know. I can't make it out yet. <laughs> What's a happy birthday song? It's a happy birthday song. Why is it a happy birthday song? You know what, All right. This Saturday is the 130th anniversary of pro football. Now the NFL. Pro football. Whoa. It was on November 12th, 1892 that the first pro contest between the Allegheny Athletic Association and the Pittsburgh Athletic Club took place. Now, there was nothing noteworthy about that game except that one Allegheny player, a William Pudge Heffelfinger, was paid $500 to play the game, making him the first pro player in football history. $500, that was a lot of money back then. But he wasn't really noticed, Ira, wasn't noticed until the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it was probably Joe Horgan, 80 years later, found an expense account showing a, quote, performance bonus of $500 to our Mr. W. Heffelfinger, unquote. Well, that that's document, a state move, Clark. That's yeah, a state move. That's <laughs> correct. And that document today is referred to as Pro Football's birth certificate. But I want to ask you, as a member of the senior committee, Shouldn't that qualify Pudge Heffelfinger for at least a discussion for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? The first pro player? Shouldn't he at least be talked about? I don't think I'm going to Clark. I, I'm next week. I'm arranging a Zoom call for for, <laughs> for forty eight for forty eight members. I want the full committee to weigh in on this. Well, yeah, because you were the one guy who covered him. 
<laughs> Me and Vito Salino. Uh, you and Vito. Would... You and Vito. Uh, Ira, final thoughts? Moving from well, Pudge final to final thoughts? thoughts? Um, you know, Clark, a lot of people here in, in, in the great area of Tampa, and Ian will back me up, think the Bucks turn the corner with that comeback win against a bad Rams team. And they are bad, Clark. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, but they're toast in a tough division. Clark, I'm not so sure that uh, they're going to go to Munich and beat a pretty good Seattle team, Clark, so we shall see. Um, but, Clark, I'll leave you with this. I watched the Thursday night game. I was at the oh. Buck game Sunday. Tom Brady said it a month ago, Clark. He did. There's a lot of bad football being played right now. He's absolutely right. Ira, that game was unwatchable. It really was unwatchable. And I'll be honest with you. I thought the Rams-Bucks game last week was unwatchable until the last series. You're right. And I don't know it was Brady magic or it was the Rams just playing soft defense, but it, it was glad, I was glad to see at least somebody get to the end zone at that point. But there's a lot of bad football. Um, I, I was going to say that, yeah, the Bucks are they've turned the corner, and I think they're getting ready for takeoff, but the takeoff's to Germany. Now, I don't know whether they actually land there, you know. But um, in that division, you said it a couple weeks ago, 8-9 could win that division. That yeah, Clark, one more point. Clark, one more point about the, the, the end of the Rams-Bucks game. Uh, and I'm not trying to pick on Raheem Morris, who, who I like, and, and I think, you know, he's a viable candidate maybe to get a second shot. Clark, the Bucks got the ball at their own 40. They needed a touchdown. It's 44 seconds left. Clark, they had two timeouts left. If you're the Rams, you cannot in any way think that the clock is going to run out on Tom Brady. Exactly. That, exactly. that is a classic mistake. You can't think that way. Exactly. And and Raheem Morris was a big fan of yours until this podcast, Ira. So <laughs> thank you very much for that. Uh, hey, listen, all I've got to say here is a reminder that Friday, that would be today, is Veterans Day. It's Veterans Day, or as it's known around here, Black Friday at Amazon. But it was also once called Armistice Day. And I'll be honest with you, Ira, I kind of like that better, I think, than Veterans Day, but they changed it. Um, but I liked Armistice Day. I think it's good. Anyway, that's going to do it. If you'd like to hear this or any I Test for Two podcast, just go to our website, that'd be itestfor2.com, or you can go to fullpresscoverage.com and click on the podcast app and pull down the itestfor2. Otherwise, tune in next week for another edition of the, what I write, the I, what is it? The itestfor2. That's Always. what it is, the itestfor2. Thanks so much for listening.